Welcome to Zila Food. Zila is the German word for soul, so soul food, but Zila food. This podcast is in conjunction with Zila Magazine, an online magazine bridging faith, cultures, and culture. I'm Ali Forti, an American Southern girl who travels and loves talking to people. I'm bringing you conversations from global movers and shakers from somewhere in the world. From these conversations, hopefully you'll be inspired to move and shake too. Thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you get fed, so let's begin. Happy Friday. I hope that you're doing well, and I hope that you've had a good week. Uh, Today's Friday post is going to be done a little bit differently. It's going to be done still with me highlighting a woman from the Bible and a podcast interview that I had last week with a woman, uh, Elizabeth Neep, in London. Uh, But first, before we jump into that interview with Elizabeth, uh, I want to point out Queen Esther. Uh, She's a fascinating woman in the Bible. I think we all agree uh, that her story is inspiring, how she was bold and courageous and full of grit. And I just want to point out a few things with the aid of the Jews for Jesus website of some things that maybe you didn't realize about Queen Esther. Uh, So let's jump in. Uh, The first point, Esther lived in exile. Uh, Esther and a significant number of Jewish people lived scattered throughout Persia after the Babylonian exile. Although they had been granted freedom to return to their homeland, many of the Jewish people stayed in exile rather than go back to war-torn Jerusalem. Point two, Esther was an orphan. According to scripture, Esther had no parents. She had lost both her father and her mother and was raised by her older cousin, Mordecai. Point three, Esther was taken captive. We read in scripture that Esther was young and exceptionally beautiful. We can also see that from the language used here, Esther didn't have much to say in the matter that unfolded. She most likely didn't submit a resume or raise her hand excitedly uh, to volunteer for the harem. But she was young, she was pretty, and she was taken. Uh, The fourth point, Esther was raped. This part comes as a shocker to many people, even those who have read the book of Esther many times. But the scriptures are very, very uh, clear about what happened. And you can find this in Esther chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. You see, the virgins who were all uh, quite young were escorted to the king, who was said to have been approximately about 40 years old, uh, King Artaxerxes, uh, at that time. They were taken one by one for him to sleep with. They didn't return to the other virgins, but instead were added to the number of the king's other concubines, uh, also known as sex slaves without the wife's status. No other man could even ever be uh, their husbands. And they never saw the king again unless he was pleased with them. In short, the king test drove all the models before making his purchase. And he purchased Esther to replace his former queen. Uh, The last point, point five, Esther risked execution. 
She risked her life to go see the king without being summoned. We all know this. Uh, But God used both Mordecai and Esther in a powerful way to deliver the Jewish people from obliteration. Esther wasn't a cheerleader. She wasn't Mordecai's sidekick. By spending a moment focusing on Esther as an individual and addressing the real and horrible things this woman of God endured, we are able to see more clearly her character and courage and God's redemptive love at work in spite of the sins of man. God chose a woman who had everything taken from her, her parents, her freedom, her virginity, and he gave her everything. He used someone who, due to gender, culture, and circumstance, was powerless and invisible and made her the pivotal, formidable heroine. Esther's story is a powerful reminder that God can bring about new life, redemption, and freedom, even when it seems an impossible feat. God is always doing something new, and you can reference that with the scripture Isaiah 43, 19. So when you look at your life story, there may be some unfavorable moments like being an orphan or living in exile or being taken captive or being sexually abused or risking your life or maybe none of these things, but you will have had some challenges and God can use them for good and for his glory. So now we're going to move on to the interview with Elizabeth Neep. Elizabeth is a writer, painter, and editor, and she's a lawyer. She studied law in the UK, but she chose the creative side of things. She works in in central London, and we met up last Thursday at Gail's Coffee Shop in Pimlico to talk about faith, Queen Esther, and calling. Enjoy this interview with Elizabeth. I was inspired by it. I think that there's a lot to take away, and I hope that you take away some practical life applications for your own life. So enjoy. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for taking the time to chat with me today. It's a sunny day here in London, so those are rare and have to embrace it. (laughs) I love the cold sunny days. Yes, yes. Yes. So um, my first question, you're a writer, you're a painter, you're an editor. That's quite a lot. (laughs) And you've hinted that you struggled to define yourself for a time with all of those roles. I guess you felt that you had to just be one. Until it seems like you just embraced all three. Uh, How did you come to embrace yourself in all three of these different uh, talents? Yeah, sure. So actually, surprisingly, I went off to university and did a law degree, even though I was doing all of these things growing up, writing, painting, storytelling. Um, so I did a law degree, not because I felt I had to, but I was just getting good grades and wanted to get a good degree under my belt. And then I came back to my faith in quite a big way in my final year of uni. And I felt like through that and through spending more time with God and reading the Bible, I realised again how much he'd made me to be a creative and I actually felt like I heard him very clearly um, through a video I watched um, say Elizabeth you're born to tell stories um, and so from that point I kind of passed into the creative side of me um, which I actually think is all of me <laughs> and um, 
just doing uh, bits and bobs and learning more about my faith, I realised that I didn't have to be defined by anything other than Jesus. And actually, how I spend my time is all just kind of for him. So it doesn't need to fit into neat boxes. And I think that was a really freeing thing to realise that I could... Um, do lots of different things and also that calling isn't necessarily what you get paid to do you can do um, fulfill a bit of your calling through that but also I feel very called to paint but I don't particularly feel called to make that my full-time job Um, and I think that's okay did you get did you finish the degree in law or okay yes I finished I I got um got a first I and um, it felt like a lot um, of people wanted me to go down that path mm. and my professors were like you know got this first class law degree off you go to make lots of money mm. and so it felt quite countercultural at the time to be like you know you know I'm gonna pursue um, publishing magazine publishing book publishing it felt quite countercultural at the time mm-hmm. but definitely the right thing to do I was, um, last night I hosted an International Women's Day discussion with Princess Tessie of Luxembourg and she talked about how even her young sons, when, before they started school, they had to take this little test on um, how they were qualified to get into the school and she made the statement that... Did you have to put soy milk? That's me. Thank you. What's the top of the scale everyone's notice is that there was no policy initiatives, no policy, just nothing. Thank you very much. She talked about how kids in the West have this pressure to know what they want to do quite early on. Um, and as an American, I think our school systems are set up by, you know, by 18 when you graduate high school, you need to know what you want to major in. I don't know if that's the same pressure uh, in the UK. But it's interesting hearing your story because you started law, but you discovered this passion, or maybe it was always there, of creativity. How, what advice do you have to somebody who feels that, okay, I'm being told by school, parents, society that I have to study this subject, but they're more creative. What advice do you have to them, an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old? Yeah, I I don't know. Probably the advice I'm giving myself today um, is that we actually work for a really long time on it, and you don't have to do just one thing for all of that. More and more people are taking um, atypical routes to to where um, they feel very fulfilled in their job. Um, you know, there's not these clear career paths in the same way that there were. Um, and so I would say to push into your passion in any way you can and you might not be able to get paid for it at first so it might have to be um, a side hustle and that's okay but just make decisions that create space for what you feel and set your heart on fire Um, because I've always loved to write and um, my parents knowing far more um, than me as a six year old girl um, encouraged me to keep writing and enjoy writing but that actually a very small percentage of people get paid to write full time Um, and so I felt like in um, my decision to not pursue law was this burning desire to write books but knowing that I wouldn't probably get paid for it for a long time but that I wanted a job that would be short enough hours to mean that I could pursue that on the side Mm -hmm. Um, whereas the jobs in law that I was looking at would be having me working around the clock all the time Um, a job in publishing would actually get me in that world and allow me to 
learn um, the craft of, of storytelling and book publishing while writing on the side. So I would say, look at what you want to do, and even if that's not a job, make decisions that will enable you to have the time to still pursue your passions. Yeah. And do you feel that... Um, God has ordered your steps, like from you watching that video, and then now you're in the creative industry, but then you're in publishing, and being in publishing first is the foundation that gets you to maybe being a full-time paid writer. Yeah, like it's insane who's guiding over my life, like even things that are happening, you know, as soon as last week, I just have to pinch myself sometimes mm. to think that I'm in the conversations I'm in or even being like interviewed is yeah. just really cool um, and it's all such a joy mm-hmm. and so I think one thing I'll never fully understand mm-hmm. I think is the difference between God ordering our steps and then God turning all things for good because yeah. I think there's probably some steps I've taken where they have been very clear from God that I'm meant to step into them mm-hmm. but I think there's others that probably I took the wrong step or others still where there was free will and I could have gone either way Um, but that God has actually really turned that to good Um, and so I'll never fully know until I get to heaven which ones were the right steps and which ones were actually God just being gracious and turning my wrong steps into good or turning my you know, I don't mind, you could go left or right steps into where I was meant to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's one thing I'd want to ask him when I get to heaven. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you said something a bit earlier that reminded me of this quote by St. Catherine of Siena, be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. And when I started Vela, it was because I was in the quiet place. I think we have to be in the quiet place with God first. You know, that scripture, I think it's in Matthew 6, where you go into your room and spend time with the Lord. And it's the Holy Spirit's soft whisper where God is speaking into you this passion or, or what he put you on earth to do and then that through that you're going to set the world on fire uh, can you speak on the importance of having that quiet time with the Lord so he can um, guide you into what he's put a person on earth to do yes absolutely and I love that scripture in Matthew 6 I um, used to work in fashion as well like, like you and um, when it goes on to talk about the world not being a stage and the, the lilies of the field you know that's such a great scripture Um, but just the other week actually when I was running I felt like God popped another scripture into my head which was Lamentations 3 which is much more rogue and I was like who reads Lamentations Um, but I went to it and it says in it it says um, when you don't know what to do and I'm paraphrasing here Mm -hmm. go into the silence don't ask questions wait for hope to appear and I felt like that really spoke into my current situation of actually sometimes we can so often be shouting at God like what's next where should I go what should I be doing Mm -hmm. that actually he's just like no no just quieten down don't ask questions Mm -hmm. like be silent and wait for hope to appear because so often it's not about particular answers in the way we imagine but like you said God just meeting us and telling us that there's hope and actually our decisions that we think so big, so small in the light of heaven and what he has for us. I think it's a perspective shift that happens in the quietness. And it's also a statement that saying, God, I'm going to put you first and pursue you first, above and beyond all the worry and all the noise of, um, you know, the world, London, where I live. Um, You know, I put you first, I'm going to... um, 
pursue this silence because it's hard in a noisy world. It is. It is. You really have to pull away um, to to get to that quiet place with the Lord. I was in Paris last week and I'm staying with a friend, and her bathroom has no windows. And the week was quite busy because I was planning this International Women's Day. So I was getting text messages and emails and like sitting in front of the computer like three hours has gone by. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I need time with the Lord. I just went into the bathroom, into the quiet where it's pitch black just to have a moment in the quiet of the Lord yeah Yeah, and I'm someone who like I if I had an idol it would be productivity I love to just you know my days of doing nothing my friends will joke I've gone for a run I've written a chapter of my book like it sometimes gets too much and you can see quiet time almost as unproductive time and I think we need to shift that to be like actually it's the most productive thing you could ever do there's revelation in that space there's energy in that space um, there's perspective rest it really is trying to redefine what we see as productivity so now I'm getting to a point and it has been a very new thing of being where I've got an hour to spare just being like well, the most productive way I can spend this is on my knees in worship the most yes that's that's true, and that refuels you to face the day. Yeah, um, it's amazing how God is a creator. I think the creatives. Well, I think it's changing now, but in the past, the creatives have not gotten enough credit. But um, God is a creator. He created the earth, and He created man. And he has put into us to be creative. Uh, I think it's T.D. Jakes who said, you know, God didn't give us the chair, but he gave us trees. He didn't give us electricity, but he gave us streams and, and lightning to harness that electricity. So you being a creative, what advice do you have to someone who's thinking about going into the creative field, but they're thinking, oh, it's not going to be enough money at the beginning, or, yeah, they're worrying about the money, or is it going to work out, or my parents aren't accepting of this? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think that many of your listeners could probably challenge me when it comes to the money thing, because I think coming from a very privileged, um, relatively family, I've never been in a position where I have to fully rely on God for financial support because I know that my safety net is there rather than God. So um, I would probably uh, more on the side of being like be practical and make sure you're making kind of educated risks. Whereas I've got some friends who are far more faithful than me that would be like just step in. Like if it's God, He'll provide. And so I almost want to kind of almost push away my own too practical advice sometimes and be like, you know, if God. Saying yes, who's going to carry you through it? Um, but I'd also say it's interesting how things come in and out of vogue. So when I was choosing my law degree, um, I actually had to fight with the university to get them to recognise my RA level as a, a valid A level to get into law. And within the space of a decade, now actually I think creatives are getting to a point where we are being heard, and almost people who are gifted in maths and science are like, oh. I'm not very talented and it's almost swinging the other way where to be talented means being able to write or create or paint and so that's all happened in the space of a decade so I think the trends probably in another decade might be that 
being a geographer is the most sexy, brilliant thing to do. So I'd almost recognise that what parents say and um, what society is saying about your work comes and goes in waves. And you just really need to look into who God created you to be. And I think a really good piece of advice is going back to what you loved as a child. Um, because if you look at what you were doing before anyone told you you should do it mm-hmm. or shouldn't do it, then that's really good kind of indicator often of what you'd love to do. So I was writing and painting. My sister um, was creating kind of shops and cafes and being hospitable and she's just got such a caring heart. And so there's things and seeds in our childhood that are there before anyone else gets involved that I think are really telling as to, as to what sex Alive. Yeah, and for you, can you talk a little bit about okay, what part of the UK are you from? Are you from London? And did your what what were those seeds for you that we see now in all of the projects you're doing? Yeah, of course. So I'm not from London. I'm from the north of England. Um, I would have actually said the Midlands before I moved to London because it is technically um, it's a place called Chesterfield in Derbyshire, okay. which is technically the Midlands. But anyone from London would think I was in northerner because I say bath rather than bath and things like that and um, so I've kind of come to accept my relative northern northernism um, and um, yeah and those seeds were there very very early on I think one thing that was in me um, from the start was almost a bossiness um, which you could call leadership um, or you could just say it's bossy but my mum told me a story where my next door neighbour could actually see me playing in the garden from her and her window and I was picking up flower petals from roses and putting them on other petals as if I was saying gosh you've not just got it quite right there (laughs) so I was always visualising maybe a better world or things that were beautiful Um, and I think so there was really early seeds of that and then you couldn't stop me writing stories I wrote my first book um, when I was um, probably in junior kind of school Um, and so I was doing all of those things before anyone told me that I could get paid for it or couldn't get paid for it I was doing those things so um, now are you working full-time in a publishing company Okay. And have you ever done freelance? Okay, because my question is, um, do you have any advice uh, to the freelancers out there on how to get clients? Like, how do you put yourself out there to do the freelance and get clients? Yeah, so I've never actually had to freelance as a kind of full-time job. So I have had times where I've been employed for a part-time job and doing freelance work on the side. Um, and so I've never had the full panic that a lot of my freelance friends have and they really do and I think one thing I see from my vantage point is the inability to rest because your time is money and so taking a day off um, when you're in an employed salaried role you've got this kind of set 28 days or whatever it is a year and they're yours to enjoy your off rest whereas in my freelance friends I see a panic of thinking how could I possibly go on holiday when my time is money and so I'd say get yourself around people um, who are going to keep you accountable to rest because that's so important and that you do have days off and because you're going to have to fight for them that's something I've seen and then in terms of getting work I would say it's all relational build good relationships be um, 
event yourself and I wouldn't say I'm the best networker because those events actually really tire me out but I think my friends would say of me that I do go deep quite quickly with people and um, that the friendships I do make usually last and so I'd say put yourself in those situations and um, not to the expense of not resting and going to a different networking event every night but really do build um, relationships as their key um, and tell people you're looking for work and get people to put an ear to the ground and, and bring you in on things because I know people who are working freelance now who basically do a big chunk of their work for the company I work for and each of those kind of employments so to speak happen through one referral and one email so unfortunately it is who you know but who you know can be born out of just one conversation yes that's true and we were talking about that last night at the event on the importance of collaboration and um, I was telling the students that life is not about what you know but who you know and who knows you and I think we women are really good at networking and collaboration but going into the next question tomorrow is International Women's Day and it's a day that women can look you know back see the struggles that we've overcome but also look forward on how to continue tackling issues and areas that are important to us because networking and collaborations we're quite good with that but men are also good at collaborating um, we have a, a negative side that we don't always support one another which gets in the way of that networking and our businesses thriving and relationships thriving so do you have any thoughts or advice on what we as women can do to support one another because we weren't made to be fighting one another I think I totally agree and it's something that I feel in my own heart as well I have got this competitive streak when it comes to my own um, quote unquote success because what is success really in God's eyes but um, one thing that's really struck me recently is in the message translation um, at the start of one of Paul's letters it says the reason we're telling this to you and the gospel is so that you can share in our joy and it's got this little phrase that says your your joy will double our joy and that's really stuck with me and so every time I see someone get promoted or get engaged any kind of success or milestone or whatever they're celebrating just this scripture keeps coming back of your joy will double my joy and we get to share it so a step for a woman is a step for us also as womankind um, and so I think that starts in the heart you can't force it you can't um, you know start to I think we're, we're very clever women are very very clever and so we know if someone's trying to manipulate us we know if they're trying to be kind to us and collaborate with their self-interest we know we're so clever and so it has to start with a heart change of being like a genuine joy for people practice that um, and once that heart change is in place I think we will start to see it really ripple out into how we're supporting each other properly and how we're working together. Yeah, that's true. Looking at ourselves and then um, that way if we're healthy inside then we can really be effective and um, a blessing to other women. Yeah, I definitely. I've met people who... I, one of the, the most incredible women I met um, was when I was interning at Vogue, in my British Vogue. Uh, you were just saying how you were writing for Vogue. Um, and she wasn't a Christian. I think she's very much on the edge. Um, but she would share any advice she had with me if she was 
giving her CV to someone, she'd be like, Elizabeth, why don't you give your CV to this person? And she was just really a good indication that you don't need to put anyone else down or keep anyone else down in order to make yourself shine brighter. You can be completely your shiny self and still let other people shine as well. Um, And I don't know where I listened to it or read it, um, but someone was saying that we think kind of success is like a cake and that if someone takes a piece, that's one piece left for us. Whereas actually it's like a candle and if you share your light with someone else, it just multiplies and the world becomes a lighter place. So it's actually getting into that light mentality and not the cake mentality, as great as cake is. (laughs) Yes, and that's where our downfall as women, we're in that cake mentality and then we're not supporting one another, which is unfortunate. Two last questions. What is one woman from the Bible that inspires you? Well, I'm sure everyone says Esther. (laughs) But Esther definitely does. Um, Just because, um, you know, she she listened to God, she was there for such a time as this, and I think that's such a powerful, um, powerful scripture. Um, But I think just on a lesson note, any of the women who were following Jesus and going where he went, we don't read a lot about them, Mm -hmm. but they were there and they were probably sleeping rough and putting themselves in danger and kind of fighting the, the, you know, system at the time. And we don't read a lot about them, but they're all amazingly inspiring so yeah yeah I'd say any woman who is there in the bible explicitly or implicitly was doing a radical thing at the time yes it's quite fascinating and inspiring um last question what would you tell your 16 year old self the same thing I tell my 28 year old self today which is don't worry as much yeah like I still do and it's so funny how we look to commands in the bible and really keep the ones that feel quite scary or big like do not steal do not murder but the bible also says do not worry it's a command and yet we don't keep that one i break it every day Mm -hmm. um but it really is it you know it shows a lack of trust it shows a lack of faith um and yet we so let ourselves worry um but then you know worry about the other commandments but you know do not worry as a command and a promise and so I'd say to my 16 year old self don't worry so much and I'd say that to my 28 year old self as well yeah yeah. that's something all of us can take away from yeah yeah well Elizabeth thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and I'm sure that this discussion will be a blessing to many people oh thank you so much for having me of course I hope you enjoyed this interview with Elizabeth Neep and that you found something to take away and apply to your own life, as well as the the beginning bits on Queen Esther. She's a fascinating woman, Um, didn't have the best beginning, but God used um, her life, her journey, and uh, saved a whole nation of people. So happy Friday to you. Uh, God bless you and go bless somebody else. And God willing, I'll see you again next week. I hope you enjoyed this podcast conversation and that it fed you in some way to pursue your own dreams. Be sure to subscribe to Zayla Mag at zaylamag.com, S-E-E-L-E-M-A-G.com, where you'll be automatically entered to win our giveaways. And follow us on Instagram at Zayla Magazine, S-E-E-L-E Magazine. Till next time.